This morning we are going to be in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. And we are going to be looking specifically at the 35th Psalm. Psalm 35. We're going to read as our text verses 11 through 17. We will make reference and look at a number of other verses contained in the 35th Psalm. But Psalm 35 verses 11 through 17 are going to serve as our text verses. And uh, in these verses, they will form the basis for our main thoughts this morning in Psalm 35. So notice Psalm 35, beginning in verse 11. False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into mine own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in mine adversity they rejoiced, and gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me, and ceased not. With hypocritical mockers and feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling, or my soul, from the lions. The title of the message this morning is, A Gathering of Abjects. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we can spend in your house today. We do ask that you would speak to our hearts. Give us wisdom, grace, and strength to understand your word and to apply it in our lives. Lord, help us not to be discouraged when in our own lives there is a gathering of abjects. Lord, help us to learn from this lesson that David teaches us and that you teach us from your word. And may you get honor and glory to your own name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A gathering of abjects. It is one of life's more ominous circumstances to be attacked by a gathering of abjects. Now the word abject is not something that we normally use today. In fact, I don't know that I've ever used the word abject in a sentence other than centered here on Psalm 35. If I were to conduct a quick quiz and pass out pieces of paper and ask you to write down what an abject is, you probably would not get it precisely. You may come close as you see the context of what David is referring to, but the word abject, and by the way, it's the only time it's used in the Bible here in Psalm 35, it literally means smiter, traducer, or slanderer. The word abject refers to low and vile people who are akin to the outcasts of society. These are the people that were attacking David with their tongue. David was surrounded by abjects, by slanderers and revilers. Now in this psalm, and of course it is a psalm of David, Spurgeon described the 35th psalm this way. The whole psalm is the appeal to heaven for a bold heart, and a clear conscience, 
irritated beyond measure by oppression and malice. This is the attack of a gathering of abjects. Many false charges, many false accusations were brought against David, and they were brought against David by those whom he had actually sacrificed for and supported. He was held by these same people in spite of his love and affection and sacrifice. He was held in scorn and derision. Now, there's no doubt that in our lives there will at one point or another be a gathering of abjects. What will you do? How will you respond? Well, if you respond the way that David did, it's a pretty good way. And so today we want to consider a gathering of, of abjects and learn three lessons that are taught to us by the Holy Scriptures in dealing with the gathering of abjects. Notice these three lessons, and again they cover verses 11 through 17 and then really through the end of the, of, of the psalm. And uh, we'll make comment to that, although we'll not spend a great deal of time on the verses that extend beyond verse number 17. But notice these three lessons we learn from a gathering of abjects and the way that David dealt with them. In a gathering of abjects, we learn this lesson. The abjects did not reciprocate David's treatment of them. They did not reciprocate David's treatment. The second lesson. David did not recognize the abject's treachery. And then the third lesson, David did not respond with his own tactics. Three lessons that we learn that help us in dealing with a gathering of abjects. Now notice this first lesson. We see this first lesson, and, and I, I know that we read verses 11 through 17, and we're going to come back to verse 11 but it, with this first lesson that we learn, we're going to look at the fact that the abjects did not reciprocate David's treatment. And that begins really in verse number 12. Now David certainly was not treated by the abjects as the abjects themselves would want to be treated. In fact, they completely disregarded the word of God. You know what Jesus taught. In Luke chapter 6 and verse number 31, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. We are to treat others as the way that we ourselves would want to be treated. Well, you know what? The abjects were treated in a certain way by David, and we're going to look at that, and it was a very, it was a very loving and affectionate way, and they did not reciprocate that treatment. They did not treat David the way that themselves would want to have been treated or the way that they were treated. So think about this lesson. The abjects did not reciprocate David's treatment. We ought to be aware of that and understand that we're going to encounter that when we are dealing with the gathering of abjects. Now, the abjects, notice here, we find in verse number 12, we have a, an appropriate description of the abject's actions. In verse number 12, there is an appropriate description of the abject's actions. By the way, 
We did not read verses 1 through 10. But if you go back in your own time this afternoon or whenever and you read verses 1 through 10, you're going to find a more detailed description of the abject's actions. But, but we're picking up here in, in our text, and notice verse 12, we, we see an appropriate description of the abject's actions. In verse 12, David, in, in speaking, he says, They, and of course he's talking about the abjects, they rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. Here it's very clear that the abjects did not reciprocate the treatment that David had rendered to them. We see here that their actions, first of all, were evil actions. He says that they rewarded me evil for good. David had done nothing wrong to these people. They did not have any occasion to say anything against David that would rightfully show that he had mistreated them. And yet, in what they are doing, they are revealing the true nature of an abject. A true abject, a person who is a slanderer, traducer, or a smiter, they do not reciprocate the kind treatment of others. They respond with evil for good. Now, think about this. Their treatment of David in in not reciprocating how he had kindly treated them was ultimately their undoing. Isn't it silly that abjects and a gathering of abjects often take action that is to their own doing and to their own uh, uh, way that they uh, appear before the Lord, their own undoing before the Lord, and it doesn't accomplish anything for them. I have mentioned before the fable of the scorpion and the frog. And we're all familiar with that fable. It is a fable that teaches that vicious people cannot resist hurting others even when it is, it is in their own disinterest to do so. And of course in the fable of the scorpion and the frog, the frog agrees to take the scorpion across the water because they can't get across the water. The scorpion can't get across the water. And so the frog agrees to do so, knowing full well that if the scorpion stings him, they're both going to die. The scorpion knows that as well. But what does the scorpion do halfway across? It stings the frog. The frog says, well, why would you do that? Well, that's my nature, the scorpion says. And so it is the true nature of the abject to render evil for good. The Bible says in Proverbs 17 and verse 13, Whoso rewardeth evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. I want you to think for a moment about the abjects that have previously met with Tabernacle Baptist Church. How has it worked out for them? Are they serving the Lord? Are they on a spiritual high serving the Lord? It never works out. When you render evil for good, and I'm not saying that everybody left here that is left here is an abject, but there are abjects that have left here. Okay, There are slanderers and traducers and smiters. Uh, and the fact is that it never works out when you're an abject. It is always to your own disinterest. Notice their evil actions. They have rendered evil and rewarded David evil for good. This is an indication that David's treatment of them was what? It was good. And then notice not only the appropriate description of the abject's actions showing that they're evil actions, but note that they had egregious aspirations. 
horrific aspirations. We see it in the last part of verse 12. It says, uh, to the spoiling of my soul. The word spoiling literally means plundering to bereavement. Their desire, and make no mistake about it, their desire was to have this effect on David. To spoil and plunder his soul to bereavement. To cause him every kind of harm that they could by their vicious attacks with their mouth. And I think sometimes we don't understand this. We, we don't get that the abject is really trying to accomplish this by their actions and their slanders. And so we, we, we see that the abjects did not reciprocate David's treatment. In verse 12, we see the appropriate description of the abject's actions. But then in verses 13 and 14, we see an articulation of David's attitude and affections. An articulation of David's attitude and affections. Now, David has just got through writing that the abjects rewarded him evil for good. And so David is clearly saying that his treatment of the abjects was what? It was good. Well, how was it good? Well, David describes it. He articulates for us just how he treated the abjects in verses 13 and 14. And in this lesson, we find that it always seems to be the one who selflessly sacrifices for the good of others who winds up being the one wronged. It's always the person that goes above and beyond in the extra mile to help others out and to do what they can for the glory and honor of God that wind, that they're the ones that wind up being wronged. It isn't the abjects who were wronged. The abjects were treated rightly and properly and appropriately by David and they're the ones that turn around and attack David. You say, I don't understand this. Well, you better understand that this is the way that some people will act in the work and service of, of the Lord. It's a, true, it's a reality. I'm not trying to be a downer this morning. I'm not trying to bring a dark cloud, but beloved, if we're not aware of these types of things, if we're not aware that there will be a gathering of abjects, when it happens, we will be completely destroyed. We will be completely devoid of any ability to put that behind us and go on in the work and service of the Lord. Now, now, how did David articulate his attitude and affection for the abjects? Well, notice, first of all, he shows his alignment with them. His alignment with them. We see it in verse number 13. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting. And so David is showing us that he aligned himself with them. What they were going through, he himself would put himself through. And, you know, let's just take for a moment here an, a, a, an opportunity to understand what David's talking about. He is not talking about people. Now, now we just have to understand this and take it for whatever, for whatever it's worth. He's not talking about people that were his equal. David is king, is he not? And even before he ascended to the throne, when Saul was chasing him, God had determined that he was going to be king. And these are people that I said earlier were low and vile people that would be looked at as the outcasts of society. In fact, there's a verse, and I want you to jot this down, and re read this in your own time. Maybe we'll come back to it later, I don't know, but 
Job 30 and verse number 1, where Job is going through the same type of treatment, and Job says that the fathers of the people that were treating him this way, he would not even have let them take care of the dogs that tended to his sheep. And I want you to think about that, okay? People that we have served with and that we have, that we have joined together with, in many instances, these are people that we have nothing in common with, other than they say they know the Lord and they love the Lord. We would not company with them. We would not hang out with them other than they said, hey, we be the Lord's people. And this is what David is saying. David is saying that he aligned himself with them. When they were sick, his clothing was sackcloth. When, and he humbled himself with fasting. He is aligning himself with them. He shows us our... Uh, David's approach to the Lord for them. Because notice here in verse number 13, he says, And my prayer returned into mine own bosom. Now this, don't misread this. David is not saying that his prayer was ineffective. He's not saying that his prayer went no further than his own bosom. What he is saying is that he wished, and, and I'm going to give you a quote here from Henry Ainsworth, who was a Puritan preacher, Ainsworth wrote this on the phrase there where David says that his prayer returned into mine own bosom. Ainsworth wrote that it means, I wished no worse to them than to myself. Let me receive of God such good as I prayed for them. In other words, the way that he prayed that God would deal with them, he also wanted to be dealt with. That's a powerful statement. Because you say, well, brother, I'll pray for you and I'll think about you. And then we don't pray for people that we say we're going to pray for. We don't pray fervently for people that we say we're going to pray for. It's like uh, Paul wrote in the book of Hebrews when he said, Remember them that are in bonds as though you are in bonds. Okay, Pray the same fervent way for those that are being persecuted for their Christian walk as though you yourself were experiencing what they're experiencing. And so we see David's alignment and his approach. And then in verse number 14, we read about his affection. Look at his affection in verse number 14. He says, I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. Do you not see what David is saying? This is the way, this is the way that David treated them. And they did not reciprocate that treatment. They attacked him and slandered him and gathered together against him and spoke evil against him and rejoiced when he was going through trouble. They did not reciprocate David's kind and good treatment of them. Again, Job went through the same thing. We're going to read some verses in Job here in just a moment, but listen to this in Job 30, verse number 25. And it's very similar to what David wrote here in verse number 14. He says, "Did in Job 30, verse 25, Did not I weep for him that was in trouble... Was not my soul grieved for the poor? It affected Job. It wasn't just lip service with Job. Job took these people and he, he had an affection for them. And he prayed for them and spoke to the Lord for them and reproached himself for them. And they did not reciprocate that treatment. What did they render to Job? Evil for good. And then notice lastly... Although I step outside of the bounds of Psalm 35, I do not think it is a leap because we see David's action. 
And I say that no doubt, David took action. It is hard to believe that David would see someone in need and not act when able to do so. That is contrary to the character of David. And again, we see Job as an example. Turn with me in your Bibles to Job 31, verses 16 through 22. Job 31, verses 16 through 22. Notice Job giving testimony that he acted in the best interests of those that were now attacking him. In Job 31, notice verse number 16. I have, if I have withheld the poor from their desire, or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel myself alone, and the fatherless hath not eaten thereof. For from my youth he was brought up with me as with a father, and I have guided her from my mother's womb. If I have seen any Paris for want of clothing, or any poor without covering, if his loins have not blessed me, and if he were not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the fatherless when I saw my help in the gate, then let mine arm fall from my shoulder blade, and mine arm be broken from the bone. And then skip down to verse number 32 is the last verse we read here. Verse number 32, The stranger did not lodge in the street, but I opened my doors to the traveler. What Job is detailing here, what Job is is enunciating, if you will, and articulating, is how he had treated those that had come back to treat him so poorly. His testimony was such that he had done right by them. And it's the same thing that we see David, uh, I believe, experiencing in Psalm 35. There's no doubt that David would have taken the same actions that Job would have taken. And the point that we're making is that we must learn this lesson from a gathering of abjects the abjects did not reciprocate David's treatment of them. We have to know that. We have to understand that so that when it happens, we're not shocked. We're not in dismay. Abjects never treat others the way that they want to be treated. They treat others in a manner in which the abjects are mistreating those that they attack. So that's the first lesson. The abjects did not reciprocate David's treatment of them. And then we see the second lesson. And now we're going to reach back to verse 11 and then look forward into verses 15 and 16. David did not recognize the abject's treachery. He did not recognize the abject's treachery. Now here is the true evil. This is the true evil behind these types of people, abjects, and their attacks. They didn't do it openly. They didn't do it in a way in which they thought about what David had done for them and, their, and David's treatment of them. This was all undercover. This was all secretly. So that David could not really tell what their true nature was. We must not be naive. There will be a gathering of abjects at some point in your life. And abjects are treacherous. David did not recognize the abjects' treachery. He did not understand the true nature of how they've thought of him and viewed him. Notice in verse 11, I said we reach back to verse 11. Look in verse 11 at their sedition. Their sedition. In verse 11 of Psalm 35, David writes, False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. The abjects gather together 
We'll talk more about that in a moment. And they rise up against David. They don't do it openly in an open sedition. They do it behind closed doors. They run to this person and to that person trying to cause discord and trying to line up others against David, the person that they're attacking. The abjects accuse David of things that David never would have thought of doing. They were false witnesses, as he writes in verse number 11. I love what Spurgeon wrote on this particular topic. Spurgeon wrote this in uh, his epic work, A Treasury of David. Spurgeon writes, He, David, had not even a thought of sedition. He was loyal even to excess. Yet they accused him of conspiring against the Lord's anointed. He was not only innocent, but ignorant of the fault alleged. It is well when our hands are so clean that no trace of dirt is upon them. In other words, David never thought about their seditious attack because he wasn't doing anything wrong. Why would, why would they do this when I haven't done anything wrong? I've treated them kindly. I've treated them appropriately. My treatment of them was good. Why on earth would they do this? Well, you know why? Because they're a scorpion. That's their nature. The abjects gather together. And they not only uh, work sedition against David, but they took pleasure, they rejoiced in David's afflictions. Sad, the abjects. Notice their sedition. But then down in verse 15, and we've already looked at, at 12, 13, and 14. Now we get down to verse 15 and look at their secrecy. The abject's secrecy. In verse 15 the Bible reads, But in mine adversity they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and ceased not. Do you see the secrecy? David never would have imagined that these people would have attacked him. And notice they gathered themselves together. And the Bible says that twice in verse number 15, that they gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, against David. You know who these people are? These are people that David only thought he knew. He didn't know them at all. He only thought that he knew them. He only thought that he could consider them to be as loyal to him as he was to them. You know, when somebody comes to you and wants to start talking about another person, they, want, they come to you and they want to start talking about the pastor. Shame on you if you entertain that. You ought to have the courage and the guts to come to my face and tell me what it is that you have to say. You ought not to entertain anyone else coming to you under the guise and the auspices of their love for Tabernacle Baptist Church. It is a gathering of abjects. It is an attempt to, in secrecy, in secrecy, subvert the Lord's order. You ever wonder why somebody would do it secretly? Why would you do it secretly? you got something to say, why don't you say it? Why, is it, why does it have to be secretly? Oh, you know, we want to discuss this, but, but we just want, just want this to be between us. No, let's make it between the pastor who you're talking about or the brother or sister who you're talking about. 
abjects never want to do it that way because then they're found out and their plan is foiled. These are people that David only thought that he knew. He did not really know them. Their true nature did not come out until they were on the back of the frog halfway across the river. Turn with me to Psalm 17. Notice Psalm 17 and we see very very uh, similar type language used in Psalm 17 verses 8 through 12. In Psalm 17 verse number 8. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. From the wicked that oppress me. From my deadly enemies who compass me about. They are enclosed in their own fat. With their mouth they speak proudly. They have now compassed us in our, in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth. Now look at verse 12. Like as a lion that is greedy of his prey. And as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. That's how the abjects work. They gather together and they go tell everybody about how they were mistreated at this place and that place, trying to form an accord with those that would join in with them and gather against their prey, in this case, David. Their secrecy. Their sedition. And then in verse number 16, their sophistry. Look in in Psalm 35, verse number 16. Their sophistry, their cunningness, their subtlety, their sly attack. In verse number 16, with hypocritical mockers and feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Here again, they continue to seek strength in numbers. You ever notice that? That it usually isn't an abject attacking you alone. It's an abject that's got to have their friends and their buddies with them, and they bring the whole crew, and then, boy, aren't they really, they're really courageous then. They got the whole crew together. They don't want to go mano a mano. They want it to be strength in numbers. And so what do they do? They gather together with hypocritical mockers and feasts. Oh, we are such religious people. We love the Lord. Let's gather together for the annual Jewish feast but they are hypocritical mockers. They're not interested in honoring the Lord and supporting those that serve the Lord. They've got their own interest at heart. They are hypocrites. They are full of sophistry. They appear to be one thing, but they are actually another. They are Judas Iscariots, who has the money in the bag, and he wants everybody to think that he's a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and meanwhile what's he doing he's gathering together with abjects to murder the Lord Jesus Christ oh they find allies with other hypocrites joining in the snake den together feeding off one another isn't it funny and I've commented on this before isn't it funny and I don't mean funny in a comical way but strange how that Enemies, sworn enemies can become friends when they're attacking a, a, a mutual enemy. And all the snakes get together. But it's, it's also funny too, you see how the snakes turn on one another. Because eventually they will turn on one another because they're not true friends. They're joining together in their sophistry. And again, if you haven't noticed this in what we've read so far, as is usually seen in abjects or these types of people... They accuse David 
of that which they were guilty of. It's amazing. And I tell you this, whenever I'm watching a I'm watching a video of a defendant. When a defendant gives an interview to a detective, and it is amazing how they can sit there with a straight face and say, Yeah, you know what? She attacked me. She's the abuser. She did this and she did that, but but you know what? I don't want to prosecute her. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, you don't want to prosecute her. Do you think we were born last night? Do you think we don't know your type? Do you think we don't know exactly? You know, oh, okay, she's in the hospital with a fractured nasal bone, but you're the one that's the victim. Oh, okay, I see. They accuse the victims of exactly what they themselves do. It is textbook narcissist, psychopathic, sociopathic behavior. And if you haven't realized that in the years that you've been serving the Lord, you're going to have these types of people even in the Lord's house. Even in the Lord's house. David sadly did not recognize the abject's treachery. Now look, I don't want us to be so cynical that we doubt everybody. But we better be on guard for abjects. And we better look at the behavior of others. You know, somebody starts calling you up and saying, Hey, you know, have you thought about this? You know, Pastor Mel, he never preaches on this. You know, and it, oh, he's got the... Look, regardless of what you think of me, look at the office of pastor. You, 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 better, you better take note. You better mark. You better take appropriate action. And I say the pastor, but that's against any brother or sister, right? You know, we don't want to attack, attack each other in the work of the Lord. There's a way that we're supposed to handle things when somebody offends us. Is there not? Did not Jesus teach us that in Matthew chapter number 16? There's a way in Matthew chapter number 18 as well. There's a way in which we're supposed to handle these issues. And abjects never handle them the scriptural way because they don't really care about the scriptures when you get right down to it. And so note the second lesson that we learn that David did not recognize the abject's treachery. And now we move on to the third lesson. And that covers verses 17 and following, and we'll just briefly allude to some of these verses. We see that David did not respond to the abjects with his own tactics. He did not respond to the abjects with his own tactics. Now, in these instances, is it not so tempting to take matters into your own hands and respond the way that you want to respond? Is it not? I mean, I, I, I don't know that you're really human if you say, well, well, I'm so spiritual that I never think about taking matters into my own hands. Oh, okay. All right, I'm going to sit down now because I'm in the company of super spiritual, pious people. And I don't mean to offend you this morning, but we're, we're flesh. We're flesh. And our initial response is probably to try to come back and answer in a way that justifies our, our cause. Now, it isn't wrong to put the truth out there when you were attacked. Paul did that in defending his own ministry as an apostle. But the manner in which we do it means everything. And we don't take matters into our own hands, and we don't revert and respond with our own tactics. We follow the scriptural way. Now what's the first thing that David should have done, and I will tell you that he did do, when he's realizing that he's attacked by a gathering of abjects. Well, look at it in verse 17. Lord, how long will thou look on? Do you see what David does? He appeals to the Lord. 
This is always the right action. To appeal to the Lord. Now, David is saying, Lord, would you please take action against the gathering of abjects? Sometimes we don't understand why the Lord seems to tarry His assistance. Sometimes we don't understand why it seems like it takes the Lord longer than we think it should to respond to the abjects. In fact, I have to tell you, and I hope you don't think ill of me this morning, I'm amazed that there are certain abjects that are still living at their advanced age. People that I know are abject. They're abjects. Like, man, I, I would have thought the Lord would have ended their time here on this earth already. But it isn't up to me, and I'm not going to end their time on the earth. That's up to the Lord. But, the Lord, but, but David says, Lord, how long will thou look on? In other words, he's, he's appealing to the Lord. He is not responding by taking matters into his own hands. He is appealing to the Lord. That is always the right action. That is always the best action. That is always the first thing that we should do. Immediately, Lord, 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 help. Lord, settle me. Lord, prevent me from trying to take matters into my own hands. Lord, would you resolve this? This is, in essence, what David is doing. He did not respond with his own tactics. He appealed to the Lord. And note, he asked for assistance. He asked for deliverance from the abjects. Do we not see that in verse 17? Read it again with me. Lord, how long will thou look on? He appeals to the Lord. Rescue my soul from their destructions... My darling from the lions. He is asking for the Lord's deliverance. He is asking for the Lord to rescue him. Now don't be confused by the word darling there. When it says my darling from the lions, I believe that that literally means his life, his soul, which was darling to him. And as much as we hate to say, we say, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, to be absent with the Lord is... Uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and, 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 and it's much better for me to be with the Lord and so I desire to go, with, go be with the Lord but you will fight for your life. Will you not? You, you will not just lay your life down and say, yeah, go ahead, kill me. It is not our nature as human beings. We want to go when it is our time but we don't want to go before our time. And during our time here we certainly do not want to be abused by a gathering of objects. And so David is describing their true nature as he desires to be rescued. Notice he is comparing them to lions. Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. Isn't it interesting that Satan is described as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour? And how are, how are the reprobates here on this earth described? as of their father, the devil, or Satan. Thomas Adams, who was a Puritan, wrote this in reference to the attack that David's going through here by a gathering of abjects. And listen to what, listen to what Adams wrote. Satan no sooner spies our wanderings, but he presently runs with a complaint to God, filing bills against us in the star chamber of heaven, where the matter would go hard, for, hard with us but for the great Lord Chancellor of Peace, our Advocate, Jesus Christ. As God keeps all our tears in a bottle and registers the very groans of our holy passion in a book, so Satan keeps a record of our sins and solicits justice against us. And what do you think Satan's people do? And by the way, make no mistake about it, when you are acting like Satan, you're Satan's people. 
you can just you can dispute that with me but folks there's no middle ground right you're either on the lord's side or you're on satan's side and when you act according to satan you are satan's people i don't understand why that's hard for people to understand oh but they served the lord for 17 years in the lord's church yeah and then their true nature came out <laughs> I, I don't it i don't get it right but 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 satan is a liar and what did Satan do with Job? He accused Job when Job hadn't done anything wrong at that point. And so Satan, like his abject children, will twist our actions and our activities to try to accuse us before the Lord. He's the accuser of the brethren. In fact, the word Satan, adversary, accuser. Okay? And then look at, and we're not going to read all these verses, Just I'm just going to mention these because it will conclude our thought process here in our outline. In verses 19 through 26, we note that David accentuates their attacks. David is reciting to the Lord all that they have done to him, and he is desiring that the Lord reward them for what they have done. I'll just give you an example. Look at verse number 19. Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. Neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause, for they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. They're working sedition. And David is accentuating that to the Lord, and you can go on and read all that is contained in there. And the point again is, tell it to the Lord. Tell it to Jesus. Let Jesus, Jesus already knows, but... Man, you want to talk about therapy, and oh, it's good to go and talk to somebody. I don't dispute that, but it's good to talk to the Lord and let it out with the Lord. Recite it to the Lord. Accentuate the attacks of the abjects gathered together. And then lastly, David concludes the psalm this way, and this would include verse 18 as well as verses 27 and 28. David adorns the Lord with the glory due to the Lord's name. David doesn't go off and say, Oh, you know, what point is it in serving the Lord? The abjects are always gathered against me and they're fighting against me. And what's the point? No, David takes his matter to the Lord. And he lets the Lord know exactly what they've done. And at the end of the day, he says, Lord, I'm going to adorn you with the glory and honor due your name. Look at verse 18. I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. And then verses 27 28. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. You talk about ending on a high note. David ends on a high note. You say, well, man, we've talked about abjects this morning. And a gathering of abjects, how do you end on a high note? By adorning the Lord with the glory that's due His name. At the end of the day, the Lord is sovereign and in control, and He allows what He allows for His honor and glory and for the good of His people. All things work together for good to them that love God, who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8, verse 28. And so David is not destroyed by the attacks of the abjects. The abjects are deceived because they think that they can take David down by their slanders and the attacks. It may not be this way in our nation today, but it is still true among the Lord's people. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words aren't going to put me down. And so the abjects gather together 
to attack David. And you know abjects, and I know abjects. You may not want to admit you know abjects, but you know abjects. Read the scriptures. Read the scriptures. A gathering of abjects. And yet, you know what? Here we are. Gathered together this morning for what? For worship. Worship of the Lord. We will yet praise the name of the Lord. The abjects can do whatever it is that they desire to do. It is against their own interest. It will always fail. And God will always prevail. And we must remember that. I hope we learn these lessons from a gathering of abjects. The abjects did not reciprocate David's good treatment of them. David did not recognize the abjects' treachery. But David did not respond with his own tactics. And if we learn those lessons, I believe we'll much better be, be much better off in dealing with a gathering of abjects. Let's pray.